And welcome back to another episode of the Midday Man of Sports Podcast. It's Eric Miller, your host, and I want to thank you for joining me once again. Again, this this episode is brought to you by Alpine Unlimited Company. Their mission is to provide high-quality, comfortable, and stylish clothing for a community of people who love nature and enjoy spending their time in the great outdoors. You can check out their designs at alpineunlimitedcompany.com. And if you use code ERIC10, you can receive 10% off your entire order. Again, it's alpineunlimitedco.com and use code ERIC10 to receive 10% off. So this is going to be a different episode today. Normally, you're used to seeing me with Noah Pegler. He's off right now. But I have a special guest with me. He is Sam Garman. He's an executive chef, works for a global food service company called Sodexo, and is a season 20 competitor of Hell's Kitchen Young Guns. So, Sam, how are you today? I am fantastic. Thrilled to be here. I am very excited about this. I Ever since I, I found a connection to you, I'm not going to release who it is because they don't need to be known right now. They know who they are. And I like when I saw this on Facebook and I'm like, no, that that can't be the same guy from Young Guns. And sure enough, it was. And I'm very excited that you're here today. Awesome, man. Yeah, I agree. I'm thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. So let's let's get to know um, you were part of Hell's Kitchen season 20. But before we get into all that, what was little Sam like? What were you like? when you were growing up? Well, uh, I am the youngest of four, uh, so I got to pick up a lot of a lot of skills and life lessons, good, bad, from my siblings. Uh, but I was extremely hyper at all times, very, 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 just running around constantly, like at all times. Uh, did a lot of sports, obviously, because of that. that. That was a good, you know, a good thing to have in terms of wrestling and such. And I did cross country, uh, played a lot of instruments, um, so I guess, I guess building up to s- sort of learning a dedication to what you're doing to a craft, whether it's cooking, whether it's me in school, whatever it was. Um, but it was, I, I, I really kind of like broadened out what I wanted to do to try to figure out, all right, what is my life going to look like? I mean, I was young, but I, I started kind of thinking about those things. Yeah. Uh, my father's a teacher. He's a very intelligent guy, really impressed a lot upon me. We have a farm in my family, so hard work, determination, all that happy stuff that comes with it. Okay. I picked up. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so, like, you're growing up, you're in Lancaster. I'm assuming you grew up in Lancaster, PA, correct? I close, close. I'm actually from Berks County, technically. So I'm from uh, outside Reading. It's a little town called Fleet, Pennsylvania. Okay, very nice. So you're growing up there, and you're, as you said, you alluded to, you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do. How old were you when you found out that you wanted to be a chef? I was eight when I first started actually cooking. That was my first real uh, five-course meal that I prepared uh, with my aunt. My grandmother came over. We had, and it wasn't just, you know, I, I, to speak to exactly what it was is difficult mm-hmm. for me now, but I, it wasn't just, uh, hey, like I made lasagna. Like it was a five-course meal with your soup appetizer going into your entree, dessert, everything like that. Um, and probably from that point on, it was an interest. It was at first a small interest, and I started reading a lot of cookbooks. Like, I'd sit in school. People would be like, what are you reading? Like, why are you reading a cookbook? And I'd be like, I don't know, because it's cool. I enjoy it. I don't, it's what I do. So that's what I was doing. I was reading cookbooks. And then it, from there, it transpired into a lot more cooking. And once I could start legally working, I 14, if you will, 13 actually under the table, uh, working as a prep cook. And from then on, I've been in kitchens to this point. 
what was your first uh, paying job over the table kind of job? That I started working the I started working the line um, in a little place around around me at home, and I worked a lot. I actually once I hit eleventh grade or twelfth grade, I was able to leave school early, um, so I left at eleven a.m. and started to work at eleven thirty. Walked there and didn't get out till about eleven p.m. each night, and I learned everything a lot of stuff there, even just what work is and that it is it's a it's a mean thing that you gotta kind of wrangle down yeah it's obviously like culinary arts is such a different thing and it it is culinary like the fact that you're just you're putting something together on a plate and like obviously an artist puts something on a canvas you put something on a plate did you see yourself as you're getting better on the line at your first job did you really think like man this i could really make a living with this Yes and no. I had a lot of people around me that um, I kind of started a network where, or even just know that and they were maybe were in the industry before, prior, or were currently. Very quickly, you'll, you learn that it's not a glamorous industry. It never really was, never, and probably won't ever be. It's something you do it because you absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I found, and that's what drew me in is because I loved it. So that's kind of where I was like, okay. This is what I want to do. Sure, was it a job? And did I hope to make money and hope to be successful? Absolutely. Yeah. However, you also kind of <laughs> have to respect what the industry is. You're taking a very, very low profit margin industry and trying to work with that and not make mistakes because every mistake is just less money that you're making or the company, which turns you know into you eventually. So it's a very difficult a difficult conundrum to figure out how do you provide the highest quality food experience and also make it affordable for yourself that that does sound like it's so were you good at math i'm assuming growing up because it sounds very mathematical actually yes i was uh, very good at math that was probably one of my strongest seats yeah my uh, my i won't lie my pssa's back in the day uh can speak to that (laughs) math was my strongest all right and so I guess like when you're when you're getting this, you're going to high school. What were your parents like? What was your support system like for you got for you? Well, uh, so well, let me start actually with um, sibling wise. Uh, so like I said, I'm the youngest of four. So I had uh, my brother who is the oldest. It's my brother, and then I have two sisters. Um, my brother's the oldest out of everyone, so he's. 36 now i'm 26 now okay. uh, so 10 year of difference okay um so he was kind of out of the nest if you will well before i was at any point of knowing what was up and what was down mm-hmm. so it kind of dwindled down in terms of it, it, it my parents were still there so then they really started to focus obviously focus on the last remaining people in their household um so i had a very strong support system definitely mm-hmm. uh, you know even just bouncing ideas off of, of like what my next move may be or stressful days or even you know thinking about well is college something i want to do because it's a career you don't need to go to college definitely you don't have to it's you can work your way up and succeed you can actually top people who did go to a college but you know through working working through it and working through it with my family uh my grandmother's absolutely great resource that i've always always utilized she's probably the smartest woman i know um really just they helped me a lot to kind of figure out how okay so i want to do this cooking thing what is the best approach to do so and how can I be most successful? Hmm. Yeah. That, so did you look at colleges or did you look at culinary arts school instead, or just I, instead of going to that, you just went to the restaurants? 
Okay, now, so, yeah, because I, and my 12th grade year kind of really is what spun that. Um, when I started realizing, I was already in restaurants, so I knew I wanted to do that, but then really when I dug in, I was like, okay, this is what I definitely want to do, so I kind of cut out any type of state school or anything like that in terms of college, mm-hmm. uh, and my choices kind of were boiled down to two. It was Johnson & Wales and the Culinary Institute of America. That took a while to figure out, and then I ended up going with the Culinary Institute of America and was accepted, and that is where I have my associate's degree in the science of culinary arts. It's, that is awesome. So, obviously, you leave high school, you, you're in culinary arts school, and then when when was it that you're like, you know, I feel like I could do Hell's Kitchen? Because you said before that you never, at least you've told me before, that you didn't watch Hell's Kitchen at all. So what Correct. What made you want to get into Hell's Kitchen? So, um, I would say it actually would have been about two years after college. Um, I yeah. is when I was I initially was like, I, I had kind of been reading up about Gordon Ramsay for a while. That was the mm-hmm. biggest draw for me uh, because the, you know we have a lot. There's a lot of celebrity chefs. Some of them I would say are figureheads, but then some of them are going to be like to me him. He is an actual chef that really he kind of worked his way up from the bottom didn't just happen to be this great show figurehead that's like hey you know look at me i'm pretty and i can do something on tv for you so like this dude got his ass beat in the kitchens all throughout his life and that's like a fact there's no turning there's no two ways about it um so i was actually going on i was online browsing through some um browsing some through some cooking forums about some stuff and somebody had posted about hell's kitchen being a they were they were looking for applicants and such so i was like you know what why not like i i know about the show i know it's extremely grueling and i want to get i want something that's going to challenge me that truly was what it was Mm. i mean i'm not never was exactly a uh fame seeker like i said the industry to me is very it's you do it because you love it it's not because you're looking to showcase per se yeah now i get a bit yeah no but (laughs) (laughs) um so i applied um, and then I forgot I applied months later, I want to say weeks. Ah, yeah, months later is when I first got contacted about, hey, you know, we really would, we're interested in hearing more about you. And that kind of has got the ball rolling in terms of interviews and such. Um, and through a very extensive process uh, that I won't go too deep into, mm-hmm. eventually I got the final call saying, hey, you are going to be on the show. And I, that was, that was incredible. And the, also the flip side was, okay, well now I got to figure out what I do about my job that I am currently mm. in. Yep. So thankfully I was able to get a leave of absence. Uh, cause yeah, cause you're gone for a significant amount of time. I mean, then that's difficult. Again, you're working in restaurants, you know, you tell somebody that the wrong boss, they'll be like, sure, you can go. Don't come yeah. back, but you can yeah. go. So I did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I took a leave of absence and, um, and that started the whole thing. And that's then I was there. I was there in Las Vegas, and that's when it began. Man, that is insane. So I, I don't know how much of the of what you can get into of the application process, because obviously you can't contractually, you can't really say as much. But what did you have you do, like, dishes? Because was this during COVID as well? This was actually prior to COVID, which is what kind of put a delay on the um, on it getting released right away was because of COVID restrictions came down. Okay. So then I'm sure, you know, in in terms of the network, they had to 
halt, not halt production, but slow down at least and space apart, obviously. Mm. Um, but it was, yes, we had to prepare dishes in that regard. Um, and that they, and it was also getting to learn the personality of, of each person. That was a big part of it. Um, and then, I mean, like I, like I said, it was a couple of weeks of this process that I, I kind of will leave it at that, that yeah. until I finally found out that, okay, hey, you made it. Jeez, weeks of not knowing. And then, so you get to LA or Las Vegas and you meet, when do you yeah. meet Gordon Ramsay? Oh, that was right away. Okay. Right, like, like not like literally right when you get there, but like the, I think it was the first day that you're there and you get thrown into it. Cause I mean, we were all, all dressed up in our nicest clothing that we all have coming from our great parts of the world. And then all of a sudden he's there in front of you and you're like, Oh, this is happening. This is starting right now. Okay. Cause I mean, you're blindsided. You were definitely completely blindsided. Uh, there's no insider information that we get before it happens. It was, uh, okay, here's your first challenge now. And that's when you do your signature dish. And that's what we let into. So basically what they showed you, cause I, I remember watching the season a couple of months ago again and watching like you guys drive up to the place. And then you guys go through the hall of fame of everything. And then you meet Gordon, boom, like, Hey, start making your signature dish. I want to know what you can do. And that's basically how it started. That's crazy. Yes. And it's a, it's a very good, it's a really throws you off. Cause in the beginning you really are truly, you know, in your head, you're like, Oh, like, this is really cool. You know, they actually set up this gallery, galleria, like museum type thing for all mm -hmm. the previous seasons um, with, you know, pictures, artifacts of, of stuff from those seasons. So you're really thrown off because your head's kind of just in that thought. Um, and all of a sudden, there's a curtain that just went up and there he was standing there. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you get to know him off camera, because obviously there's got to be a little staging for him, but off camera, what is Gordon Ramsay like? very still true to who, who he's depicted as obviously you know minimized to some aspect but i guess the best way i've been able to explain it and think about it is if you just kind of speak out a line or say something not quite so intelligent he has no problem and will not hesitate correcting you immediately correcting you in any manner whether it's go fuck yourself whether it's hey you know, like there's a lot of things i i don't know how explicit i can get here but it is <laughs> You've heard that many times. The amount of things I've heard. And, you know, watching the show before, that's what I was doing. I was laughing my ass off. I was like, this guy's hilarious. When he's right there and he's doing this to you, that is yeah. like, oh, shh. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, your like muscles drop. You're done. There's no smiling. There's no nothing. You're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's He does, there's a certain type of instilling fear not necessarily in a in a horrible in a bad way, just instilling that like I am me, you are you, and you're gonna learn from me. And if you don't, then you're you're kicked the hell off. <laughs> well, yeah, because we've seen. I mean, I've seen the show since like high school. And I remember watching this with my parents, and even when like the one guy gets in his face, like I ain't no bitch, I ain't your bitch. They can tell you why they got they got uh, why they're getting up on for elimination. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Yes, yes. I actually did see that because I, I, once I was accepted, I did watch some episodes to get a good br good briefing, and that was a really good briefing of it. I was like, oh, I wonder what else, what, what type of stuff this gets into. I mean, if somebody's like coming face-to-face -face with Gordon, interesting. 
So a question that I was coming up with as well is like, so do you think this is part of his expectations that he has? Like he was brought up, as you said, beaten in the kitchen, figuratively and literally, and coming up through the ranks. But his expectations are so high that he wants you to meet them or even exceed them. And if you don't, that's when he's like, all right, you're just not cut out for this right now. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I, that's actually the first thing I, I kind of started piecing together is his recipes and his dishes. They look absolutely beautiful, but they're not these over the top, like eccentric dishes that are almost like, how do I even eat this? And what is, why am I looking at like things on a plate that I can't edibly consume? Mm-hmm. He's about technique doing it perfectly and, and executing it perfectly. And then that's what he provides that fine dining experience. Yes, it looks very, very attractive, extremely, but it's taste flavor wise. And just every, the way you built up that dish is to a traditional way. And it's, it's incredible. Uh, he definitely, I mean, you can kind of see it. He, he, he was in France in Paris, France and came, he worked under a chef, uh, Pierre White. Mm. And that's who was in Pierre White was, is known as one of the most physically brutal chefs. Like, <laughs> you want to talk about laying a hand on somebody that's your guy that's your guy so, that kind of shines through in gordon a little bit um not that he gets physical but definitely you can tell he gets verbal as everyone has seen in the world yes. uh, but definitely is all about that real technique not trying to just find all these brand new different ways some of the things i've learned in college was like you should be able to make the best soup out of water you don't need. You shouldn't have to have all these high-end products and all this to make an absolutely delicious soup. You should the base like there's there's like a, an actual technique that builds the foundation of things. And if you follow that and you use those recipes, that's how you're going to get the best flavor out of a dish. And again, we're eating. Yes, we eat with our eyes first, but secondly, we're actually going to be tasting, and that's to me going to be also your last leaving memory of what you just ate. Yeah. What was your favorite thing to make on Hell's Kitchen? Oh, my favorite thing. That is a challenge. That's definitely, first off, a lot of them were challenges where I didn't even know what the hell I was about to make. Uh, but my favorite thing I will say would be my, I think my signature dish, to be honest, just because seafood is my, my. that's kind of one of my favorite things to work with is a delicate protein that you can use, easily be destroyed and mm-hmm. very distasteful. I mean, you think of scallops if they're overcooked. Uh, it turns rubbery, it loses a lot of flavor, and it's not that juicy bite that you're going to be getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's tricky. And again, I really like challenges. So I think that's why I'm, I was, I'm drawn to seafood because it's difficult to work with. So yeah. the Chilean sea bass is probably one of the most delicious fish that I have ever eaten. I mean, the sweetness and the big flakes of it, it's also cost about $35 a pound right now. But I guess so there's a reason. I mean, it, I guess it kind of tells you it's very desirable. Um, but yeah, I worked with Chilean sea bass actually during my dish. And then another dish came up that I also had worked with. And again, I think I chose that because it's just one of my favorites to work with. What, um, what was a challenge in the kitchen when you're doing the line and you're hearing the orders? What was the most difficult part of that? I would say the, actual, the initial thing that was most challenging, and this, this is really comes down to a very... Um, old school or French type of kitchen where the, the executive chef or maybe sous chef would be yelling out the names or yelling out the names of the dishes on each ticket. Right. Mm-hmm. So in restaurants nowadays, you go anywhere around town, it's going to be a printed ticket in front of you. Yeah. In those restaurants, that's not how it works. Chef has those tickets. 
you just have to listen to what he says. But when you start rattling that off and you start rattling off more than one ticket at a time, then it's challenging. And then when you start talking about different courses and you don't fire every course right away. So now you got to know, am I on the appetizer for this ticket? And then I'm on the entree for this ticket all at the same time. Mm. And you have to memorize that while you're also, you know, dipping and dodging and getting burned and cursing at your person next to you, you know, there's a lot to think about. So that was probably the most initial biggest challenges on the line Uh, behind that. I'd say is really trying to define the competition between a team-based event and a, it's me type of an event. Mm-hmm. Cause again, there's only one winner in the end, yep. but one of his biggest things is that you have to learn how to work with your team, any team, but that's why you were thrown wherever you were thrown. And that was very difficult because now you have egos you're dealing with. You have drama that you're dealing with, which you don't even, you don't even want to be dealing with, but it happens. Cause you're like, this is either a single competition or a team. And then you're kind of in a crossroad. Yeah. And that's interesting that you say that because you were part of the guys team. And then was it you swapped to the red team or was it opposite colors on your season? It was, I was starting the blue team with the guys and then I got sent to the red team with the girls. Yep. So then you, and I believe it was, oh, oh, what's his name? I can't think. Travis? Was it you and Travis that got sent over? And Antonio. Antonio, okay. So, it was Antonio. Yeah, and you yeah. guys get sent over. And I remember you saying, I ain't going to take no shit. Like, I don't care what you guys give to me. I ain't taking no shit over oh, here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of was like, this is, we're here for a reason. And if you haven't realized what that reason is, and I don't know, A, I don't know how you made it here to begin with. But B, you got to learn real quick that we're all equal here. Mm-hmm. Meaning we're all going to be, I'm going to treat you as equal just like I was on the blue team. It's no hard feelings. It's a kitchen. Yeah. It gets hot, and if you don't like the heat, get the fuck out. <laughs> Which is basically what Gordon Ramsay is trying to give you guys anyways. It's, it's Hell's Kitchen. It's hot in here. Like you said, if you don't yeah. get it, get out. Yep, exactly. So I guess, like, what, what, was, what was the dorm life like? Because you had mentioned earlier, like, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of egos. How do you – like, do you guys go back into the dorm and, man, I don't want to look at food ever again. I'm going to order pizza or something. Like, what did you guys do back there? I'll, so a lot of the time, it really was a lot of discussion. Um, in the beginning in the beginning phase, it was a lot of discussion, kind of friendly, getting to know each other. Uh, not too many people were eliminated quite yet. And we didn't kind of grind on each other yet in terms of working in the kitchen. Um, so, but then progressing a little bit farther into it, into the competition, it became a little bit more arguing, a little bit more mm. tense. You're, you know, people will be walking on eggshells, um, lots of tears, lots of, lots of crying. Uh, that I didn't, that I, that I didn't like that very much. That I didn't understand. And I let people know that <laughs> it was not, I didn't understand how you could be in such a place with such a man that literally is like known to be berating people. And you're sitting here crying about spilt milk. Now yeah, well, it's a kitchen, clean it up. <laughs> That's amazing. It's spilt milk. Get over it. <laughs> And I'm telling you, it was that part was uh, that that I was like, come on, this is not high school. I don't care about any of this. This is this is work. It literally work. I left work and I'm now at a new job, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and you were also applying for in a in a way. You were kind of guys. You guys were all applying for a new job to be mentored by Gordon Ramsay. So Correct. Like, yeah. yeah, and like 
that aspect of that of this show is part of that is getting to know what you guys can stand what if you can't get out of the kitchen it, it all it all kind of makes sense after you break it down piece by piece and how the psychology of the show is crazy um what i don't know if you still keep in contact with him but what is your relationship with gordon ramsay like now that is i will say non-existent unfortunately that is that's a that would be a challenge um i i mean i know i know i know the person that did uh win he did he does trenton did uh he i think he does contact keep in contact in fact i think obviously he works underneath him uh but i don't know if it's day to day but i know he keeps in contact but unfortunately i do not i'm not sure about the other contestants i don't believe they are able to either Mm -hmm. um we're all in a chat that we can kind of talk to each other now at least the top some of the top 10 people we were able to literally write each other's like phone numbers on a tiny like torn off piece of paper and keep it (laughs) that was all we got yeah please don't take my numbers away i want to keep talking to you guys yeah yeah exactly (laughs) because you made it a top seven and it seemed like when i was watching you were one of the top guys for a while but then what what do you what do you think actually happened for you well, um, you know, I, honestly, I wasn't – the night that I got eliminated was – I just wasn't on top of things. Mm. I mean, I was in terms of if, – if you watch the progression of it, the raw chicken is what technically got me sent off, but what really caused time. it was not because I sent up two, two chicken breasts that were overcooked mm-hmm. for the same dish, and he sent the first one back, and I had a backup ready to go. Sent that up. That was overcooked. Sent that back. Then I'm like, okay, I have to put a raw piece down, and that's all I can do. So I did. Uh, but right when he called for it, after that, but if you don't get – there is no, oh, wait, I need like five minutes still. It's I want it now. I want to see what it is now, and that's that. And if it's not what it is supposed to be, then you kind of just have to deal with it. And then that that's where I say I dropped the ball. You know, I wasn't paying attention. I fired things too early, allowed them to cook too long, and that's – you know, it was a mistake mistake made, but at that point in the game, one mistake clearly can – that's it. That's the boot. Yeah. Uh, who are the people that you are still closest with from that group? Uh, I would say um, closest with? I, I won't lie. I, I, it's, it's challenging because I, I don't live in this very – hooked up world all the time where I'm on my phone. That's one thing I'm really poor at doing. So I do have a chat with them and I'm probably the only person that doesn't actually actively pursue in the chat. Uh, But I talked to some of them, um, Steve, Jay, Josie. uh, They were probably like, more of my favorite people on the show, like actually getting just learned who they were and working with them. Uh, They were really honest to what was going on didn't try to exactly just throw people under the bus uh which was big that that happened all the time that was difficult and again you don't get to just go what was me let me explain this to you chef it's he either understood it and saw it right then and there or that's that there's no time to kind of waste yeah steve was a very interesting character to watch because he just seemed like listen i'm just here and i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing but i'm not going to be too vocal I'm not going to be too loud. And then when he is, he's either too loud or too vocal. And they're like, whoa, Steve, you need, that's too much. You need to calm it down. <laughs> it's like the guy can't win. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was. Because at first he was very quiet. I agree. He was a very, uh, very, sh- oh, I thought he was shy at first. And he really wasn't. He's was just kind of a quiet, laid back dude. Uh, but yeah, he, he was cool though. He was cool to get to know. And definitely good that I get to at least still know him to this day. Yeah. And then obviously 
Trenton, he won the whole thing. And you mentioned that earlier. Uh, what was he like throughout the show? Because his cooking seemed like he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was always pinpoint getting like four or more points for his team, whatever team he was on. He just seemed so consistent in that show. He was. Uh, he was a very, definitely a very, very strong cook. Um, and, and I think part of that is some of the not everybody there exactly was a restaurant cook per se. They may have kind of ventured out to their own private type of thing, which is great to some extent, except in that environment, you're working a line. Mm -hmm. uh, Trenton, Trenton did that day in and day out, just like some of the rest of us, or not the rest of some of us, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but I think that really shined through that he actually understood all of the uh, mechanics of how a line works. The, you know, that sense of urgency that you have to have, but also that perfection that you need to have. And, and the part of that sense of urgency is also knowing when to not go too fast and not go too far and kind of hold off a little bit because you need to wait a little bit and food cooks and then it dies. And if yeah. you will, dies in the window or dies in your pan because you let it go too far. Uh, so he had a very good keen sense of that. What? I don't know if you were part, if you remember this, towards the end, Ramsey had a joke where he had a bag and it seemed like it was weed and he had the, uh, or drugs in the dorms. Do you remember that? Were you part of yeah. that? Did you know anything so, about that? <laughs> and that was, that was that actually, that I really was caught off guard. We all were, um, we were in the kitchen. I think we we're just like prepping or something for dinner service. And all of a sudden, like, the sous chef, I uh, would have been, I guess, it would have been Jason that came over and was like, you, "Yeah," and he's like, "You guys got to get to the dorm now," and like we had no idea. And one thing I will say is, Gordon is never in the dorm rooms. Not once does he step foot in there, typically at all, at yeah. all, at all. But that was the one where, like, wait, like, what, what is happening? And their look on their face was very uh, convincing very convincing and then like to watch him stand there like holding this like dope bag like yo what the f what is this like how dare you do this like we're all like we're looking at each other more so like dude really like come on man you didn't leave that at home like what the hell like wild and then we figured out what it was so that was our very crazy uh twist did you really think that it was trenton though that had the drugs I, I, honestly, to some extent, I was kind of like, yeah, possibly fits the bill. I don't know. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know him that well. But I was like, well, it, it looked real at, at that point. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what was your favorite? Because you won a few. You and your team won a few uh, trips. What was your favorite trip? Besides getting any time getting out of Hell's Kitchen has to be a great time, but... <laughs> Um, I would say probably one of the coolest things was, well, but two of the, th two of the things there was, I think they call it the high roller, I believe was the name, which is the huge Ferris wheel where it's an act, it's a whole encapsulated pod. Yeah. And I think it's like the tallest one in the world or, or at least in America, I believe like there were, the pods had bars in them, like full set up little mini bar, like with an actual bartender. I mean, uh, that was pretty wicked. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that was something I've never experienced. And then Zip lining. I know that the zip lining part wasn't exactly what I was about. It was a fact that you, I, I never was in Las Vegas and you got to go see over top of the entire strip, which was awesome. Like you can't ask for a better view. That's like one way to do it really quick and see it all. Yeah. You don't get to do it all, but you at least got to kind of see all the lights and all the energy that's there. Cause it's, I mean, it's Las Vegas. Yeah. It's, it's Vegas, baby. Um, what was your least <laughs> thing that you, uh, least punishment that you liked? 
Or what was the worst punishment that you had? What was the worst punishment? Oh, oh. Because yeah. <laughs> he, I would say it's it was the squid. The squid was. It started out just cleaning the squid was rough. Like that was tedious as hell. That's and I already had done it before in my life, and I was like, God damn it! I know exactly what this is gonna be like. It's just gonna be a long time of doing the same repetitive task. Then moving on to having to eat these sandwiches that he prepared. That oh. was. I personally didn't mind it because I've, you know, I've used some thing, weird things. I'm not going to lie. And I can stomach it. But watching people and hearing people throw up left and right of me, oh. that's where I was like, okay, that, this is now starting to get to me. That was that made it very rough because that was actually my, my teammate at the day was next to me, and he ended up getting real sick because he was just throwing up left and right. I was like, God damn it, dude. I was like, I'm trying to finish this sandwich, and all I can think about is hearing you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh god stomach that flashbacks I wonder, I wonder where he can where he comes up with some of these punishments yeah i don't know that's a good thing that's a that's a good question i don't even know that myself but i'll tell you what they are they're punishing <laughs> yeah oh, man um what is your favorite ingredient to work with on the show and what was your least favorite ingredient Oh, well, I'll start with the least because that's really, really stands out. Um, when I was pork working with the, uh, what was it? It was the pork jowl, uh, cured pork jowl. It's a very, very salty, extremely salty um, cured meat with a lot of high fat. Uh, primarily, it's fat, actually. It's not a lot of muscle in it. Okay. I had not worked with it. It's a Spanish, I want to say it's it's a Spanish ingredient. Mm. Um and that was very difficult for me because obviously salt drives almost everything we do in the culinary world mm -hmm. and to not exactly know how much salt content and how masking it can be that really killed me in that challenge and just uh, trying to like work with it was such a challenge that, that was very difficult very difficult yeah oh, that that sounds weird when you were doing you were around with the uh the blind taste testing what was that like Oh, that was that was awful. That was terrible because I had to be the first person. I was the very first one to get dumped on, and like I call me weird, but like having that stuff all over my skin and like literally every inch of my body, I like froze. Like right when I finally got to me to like do the taste testing, I'm standing there and I'm just like I can't think about anything that's happening. What I'm tasting, I was all I could think about that I'm coated in like caramel and popcorn and God knows what. And that's it. That was it. And I blanked and I did horrible. That was my worst challenge. I, did, I actually, challenges were my strongest suit, I believe. They were, I did pretty well, but that really killed me. Yeah. Any, that was yeah. awful. <laughs> it seemed like any cooking one, you were like top three at least on your team. But then when it came to like those physical challenges, like, nope, nope, can't do that. Don't want yeah, to. Do that, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, child, that was difficult. I wish I could redo it, but not, unfortunately, not. <laughs> yeah. So I have a few questions from uh, social media. I went to some of my friends and I'd asked them uh, some questions, but I had to get to the one first for my wife because she's going to kill me. She's not in the room, thankfully. Um, but I had to get to this question first. How do you cut up an onion without crying? Because every time she cuts up an onion, it's always a red onion too. She's in tears. And I'm like, it's okay. It's, it's an emotional thing. I understand. Cutting onions is terrible, but... What is your, I want to ask some of your secret tips of uh, some of these questions. 
So uh, the biggest thing I will say is a sharp knife. Uh, sharp knife is beneficial in every in any aspect. First off, in terms of hurting yourself or not, but when you're talking about um, trying to cut an onion, the 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 vapors are what's kind of go into your mouth and actually goes upward, and that's kind of what's actually causes you to cry. Um, don't ask me too far in depth. I'm not a bio. I don't know biology, human biology like that, but I do know that small amount. But with a sharp knife, you're not going to be bruising it. When you if you think about taking um, if you're cutting basil, it's the best example I can give. If you have a dull knife, you'll see a very big part of it starts to turn brown very quick. If you have an extremely sharp knife, it will stay a lot more green and that fresh green look to it because it's not going to start to oxidize because you didn't, you didn't bruise it as much. You're not beating it around. You're not exposing that cross-section so much. So if you can have a sharp knife going through, you're not going to have so much vapor being broken open that it's, it's all about that. Literally, that's what's causing you to cry. So if you can minimize it, that's your goal. Uh, whether it's a wives sale or not, I'm not 100% sure. I've tried it. Uh, you can jam a piece of bread in your mouth. That is supposedly supposed to absorb those vapors, which is why I said it really, truly kind of gets triggered in your mouth first. And not that you know it yet, but then that's what causes you to start crying when it goes upward. So that, I'd say give it a shot. I don't know how long you can, you know, suck on a piece of bread to swallow it or choke. I don't know which. Uh, give it a shot, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be standing by next time. She, she yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, so do you have any tips on homemade bread from her? Yes. Bread, yeah, absolutely. Bread is a very uh, – anything with dough, it can be very – intimidating and whether it's pie dough or whether it's bread anything like that it's it's difficult even though it's very usually very small amount of ingredients the texturization and consistency is the biggest key um and i think the the thing that i learned very quickly when i started working with breads is uh it takes time to develop gluten content Okay. So even when you finish off, say you're using a, a mixing bowl with a dough hook, you, you, you take it to what the recipe says, maybe it's three minutes on low. So you do that and you think, you know, that's just, that's not ready yet. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep mixing. It doesn't look quite ready yet. You know, I can't work with it yet. Once you mix it too far, what you do is you stress the glutens to the point where now it's, it's tight. You have tightened them up and they're going to seize. So you, you, then you have to let it relax. And that's a whole process on its own. So you don't want to get to that point. You kind of have to respect that you're going to take it out of the bowl. You're going to knead it a couple of times. Um, you're going to work it just till it comes together. And then you're going to have to ferment it. Anyway, you're going to have to let it do a second. Like typically you're going to put it in somewhere, you know, 70 degrees to hundred degree temperature to let it rise. And that's going to also change your consistency. So there's so many layers that you may not think about that mm -hmm. the very first step you overdo it or underdo it. And you've already kind of set yourself up for failure. So I would say, Following a true recipe, a real, like a very tried and true recipe first, mm -hmm. doing what it says to the T, seeing the results, and then you can start to kind of play with it and, and broaden out and start doing some more intricate breads. You know, there's various many different types of breads out there in terms of how you create them. So start basic, get an understanding of what, what it should look like, what it should feel like. There's a definite touch to bread that or to dough that you should be feeling when you're working with it. Mm -hmm. um, and then go from there. Okay. All right. So start basic, basically. All right. I like that because it's with everything you have to do. So from some of my followers on Facebook, I went on and I had asked them and I also sent you these. So I'm going to try to be careful with the first one that I'd mentioned to you earlier on. Um, how much 
of the chef do we truly and i think we kind of already talked about this a little bit but tyler corbett wants to know how much of each chef do we really see and how much of the footage is edited to justify the sending home um so i would say that you you see everything that you see of the chef is is very real um that i can 100 percent say and if anything what i would say is you don't even get to see how much of effort and how much skill that all of us have input into it all uh just because there's a limit you know you you're you're taking literally however many recording yeah and compressing it down so they have to minimize it um but sure is there is there some force at play that you know that they're going to maybe show a certain aspect versus another or maybe in a certain time yes um it's kind of difficult to know that also to me because I I only know what I did for 24 hours a day. I don't know what they're capturing. I don't exactly know when they're going to be capturing mm. and what they can use, what they can't use. So in, it's hard to compare, but I would say I would say it's very, very real. It's just that, you know, they, it's a, they there's a dramatization to it, which is yeah. kind of comes with the territory, if you will. Yep. Um, but it comes from a very real part. So it just is kind of kicked up a notch. And you're also in a time slot, which is about 46, 45 minutes-ish of an episode, not including commercials. So you're not really part of the editing part of it. You're just there for the cooking and moving on. Right. You're- Absolutely. We have no clue. No clue what's about that. It looked, when the whole world saw it is when we saw it. And I'll tell you, that was a hell of a time sitting there going, what are they going to – like, what are we going to see? What did, I, what did I say? What did I do? You know, that was intense. Did you use, did you tell your parents, did you watch it together? Like, listen, I want to say right now, I am sorry for whatever you're about to say. See or hear from me, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, not just my parents, though. We had a whole viewing party. Uh, we all went to my sister's house. We had probably about 20 or 30 people there. And that was, like, the very initial kickoff of it. And I remember I distinctly had to let everybody know that I can't, con- you know, it happened. What's done is done, and I can't control what's about to be on national television. Awesome. Uh, Jennifer Madewell wants to know how long did it actually take for people to get their dinners at restaurant on the show? So the perception of time is very hard to keep track of on the show. First off, we don't have any perception of time because you're in the dorm and stuff. There's no clocks. There's nothing like that that gives us an idea. Um, not that we don't have, you know, what we know outside of that show, but yeah. it's, you're in such literal hell that like you, you, you kind of lose that sense. Um, and then, you know, you know how many minutes it was since the last course was fired. So I can tell you that, like, typically um, the way in any standard kitchen, usually an appetizer, it's expected will take approximately seven to ten minutes for a guest to eat, which mm-hmm. means right when that appetizer goes, comes back, you should be sending out that entree. So that's ten minutes after. So now, so now you're up to, like, 20 minutes, and then you're waiting for your – maybe then if your dessert's coming after that, that's another – entrees are usually given about 15 to 18 minutes. So all, all in all, it would could be about – 25 minutes if it's absolutely perfect solid and mm-hmm. god knows we were not perfect and solid so do that as you will, or take that as you will uh it could be upwards of 30 some minutes but that's progression of a meal that's not okay i'm waiting for my appetizer my entree and my dessert all in one shot obviously yeah and a lot of it as we had already said 
it's it's a drama show so they're dramatizing everything so they spend i think about 20 minutes on just the dinner service in general and then it's like an extra five to seven minutes of all right well you guys messed up who we're gonna eliminate you're eliminated the end of the episode and then that's it right yes uh it was that that definitely is a big part that they like to uh kind of run with and is that's kind of where i say they kind of play their hand uh which you know what extent that's where you don't know uh one thing i definitely will say is i I know the stipulation that people think that like there's quote-unquote sabotage by unknown people that that's not that's come i will completely debunk that right now that i've not seen that whatsoever everything again everything that we did mistakes we made is because we made mistakes it wasn't it didn't go any farther than that. It's just more so the, the the play of the timing of how things were shown. Sure, that's where you might get into a little bit of gray area. Okay. Uh, my dad wants to know how many months or weeks, and you had already said this earlier on, how many months or weeks did it take to usually get the final invite to the show? Um, and uh, did you uh, do most participants end up getting better jobs or promotions after being seen by millions of people on TV? So it uh, it takes about oh, that's difficult because like I truly forgot I, when I initially even applied I totally forgot I like I got a random phone call and I didn't even know who the hell it was I thought it was somebody like a purveyor from work or something yeah uh, so I'd say a couple months and I'll have to leave it at less than six months but I can't tell you exactly more than that because I, I I I don't remember I don't recall um, that and it was also during COVID you had said. Well, well, it, it was, well, leading up to, we didn't quite know COVID was going to happen yet. Okay. That was, but yes. Um, but in terms of people after the show, I definitely will say that everyone got a lot of, well, I don't know about the initial people that were kicked off. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not in contact with them. Yeah. But a lot of the people got a lot of exposure, um, even if just was highlighting their talents. I mean, just to get onto the show, obviously, it's, it's a great honor and something that's, even if you didn't do well. To me, you were, I don't want to call it brave enough, but you actually had like the confidence in yourself to put yourself up there. Even if you knew you weren't going to be the best, you went there and you did the best you could do and figured out what you maybe needed to work on. And to me, as even if like, you know, in a felt uh, perspective employer, if I saw that, I'd be like, hell yeah, like that's what I want. I want someone that's going to put forth their top effort, even if they know they can't beat that next person, but they're going to continuously try to beat that next person. That's what mm. we're all doing. I mean, that's happens in the ki- the kitchens all the time. Grow like growing up, that's how it was. It was just, you're trying to beat that next person that's next to you. You know, you're learning everything from them, but you're also trying to exceed them at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that that I think most people did probably uh, whether they got a promotion, whether they got doors open for them. Um, I'm not, you know, all that definitely happened. I can say I had I had a lot of different opportunities that came up for me uh, within my own company. Even I got to have. Different. I had an event actually um, in Long Island that I was invited to do. It was a they called it Hell's Kitchen with Sam, oh. and it, uh, I, I did a course menu, and I had a team of chefs that were underneath me that I got to have prep everything, and I worked with them, and it was brand new people. Um, stayed in a hotel and everything. You know, it was the it was a whole shindig. It was wow. so I was there for like three days, and we finally had the final dinner, and it was so. Yeah, I would say definitely everybody got a little taste of um, something new, something exciting outside of what they were doing prior. Okay. Uh, my aunt, my wife's aunt, Laura, wants to know, what is the best seafood for ceviche? 
so I like to always stick with a similar um, similar realm. So I would go with typically a tiger shrimp. I would go with um, scallop was a great. And then if you're I, usually squid or an octopus, a Spanish octopus is something I like. People like to put salmon in it. To me, I've always kind of find it's a very fatty flavor that kind of adds, uh, it's, it's, it throws in a flavor that I don't usually like, especially after it sits for a while. And the whole goal of ceviche is it has to sit usually at least like an hour because the acid has to technically cook, quote unquote, cook that protein. Mm-hmm. So I stay away from the salmon, but typically I'll stay with more of a whiter flesh type of seafood. Um, but your key, the biggest key, again, honestly, out of all is your acid, how much acid you have, and is it balanced correctly, <clears throat> which is your lime juice, obviously. Uh, Jen wants to know, Jennifer Lynn, what is an overrated or overused ingredient and an underrated ingredient? And then there's another question, but I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Let's see. Overrated and underrated. Should play some uh, Jeopardy music. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I would say, I would say to me one of the most overrated. Right, uh, that it kind of is starting to phase out, and I think it's because it is was was way too overrated. Was saffron, which Uh is obviously your threads, right? Mm -hmm. The cost of saffron is astronomical. It actually came down because it lost the demand. However, but it would it used to be such a crazed thing, but. it has just about zero flavor, to be honest. It doesn't lend much of a flavor. If anything, it's more of a coloring. It gives it that. It gives it a good color, sure. But I mean, I can use turmeric. That's going to give me an incredible flavor and the exact same color. Yeah. Um, in terms of underrated, now that is a that is a challenge. That's tough mm. because there's a lot of good ingredients. There are yes, yes. I, I definitely would agree, and I mean. I think that, yeah, I'm going to be biased here. I want to say that I want to go towards, um, I, I like vegetables a lot. And I'm not vegetarian whatsoever, but I think that some of the, like artichoke is one of my favorite vegetables and I think is not utilized, especially not utilized fresh. Okay. Um, I know it's a very unique thing, but it's, to me, that has a very obscure flavor. Um, it can be fleeting. It's almost like an avocado that you can all of a sudden, that flavor is gone if you take some, if you try to pair it with something too strong. Mm-hmm. but if you work with that you can have it be an incredibly unique flavor i mean they have an actual artichoke liqueur which i don't know if no people know about it. i think it's called senior but it's like a very good way to taste the flavor of artichoke i got a tattoo to my arm so that's why it's i'm, I said I'm biased about it okay that's awesome i've never heard of artichoke is it like artichoke liquor is it like a whiskey like what is this no, it's, it would be considered an appetif. So it would be okay. before. Uh, so it before you would have um, any type of food, it would kind of get you salivating, kind of get you going, to, literally excited to eat. Is what appetif would mean. Um, I believe that's the best way I can explain it. If I'm incorrect, uh, don't sue me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> on the bartending all the time, but that is. It's definitely something to try. It's not for everyone, but it's something to try. And I think it, if you manipulate the flavor of it, to have it play off of another flavor very well, that's where you're going to get your best results. Okay. And our second part of this question, which I could not understand, and I couldn't even actually read my handwriting. So thoughts on a sous vide cooking? All right. <laughs> so sous vide is 
So to me, it's nothing new. It's nothing new in terms of what the actual action of what you're doing is. What you're, what's new about it is that we have technology out there that can control it to a, such a perfect degree of temperature. Hmm. So I can take it, you know, if I'm going to cook a rare steak to 125 degrees, um, first off, after I take it off of a grill with an intense heat, I can expect five degrees at least of carryover temperature that's pushing it past what I was going to expect. Mm. If I do have it in a sous vide, it can never exceed the temperature that I have it set at. Say so if it's at 125, that's going to be at, I think it wavers between typically two degrees above and below, um, which is incredible. Uh, I, however, what I, I wouldn't say it's the most practical um, at home. It's great. I think it's a very great tool to utilize at home or if mm-hmm. maybe even for parties, but again, at home type of thing. In restaurants, it's um, I'd probably more so use it for perfect uh, soft-boiled eggs, actually. Okay. That's what I would use it for. Not quite so. I mean, if I'm going to do maybe a slow braise, if I want to do a short rib, okay. But people do like steaks in the sous vide and then they do a reverse sear. So you cook it first, then you sear it second. I don't know if I've ever seen a big difference of flavor, I guess. Okay. All right. And that's all my questions I have from social media. This was a lot of fun. Um, I hope that sometime in the future we can all get together and, uh, Maybe try some of your Chilean sea bass. I know it, like the way that you were describing earlier made me really hungry all of a sudden. So this has been a lot of fun, though. And you put a lot of like a lot of answers to questions I've had for years about Hell's Kitchen. Well, good. I'm glad I could do that then. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I really do. It was it's it's great to uh, great to talk about. It. Again, like I said, this is what I do for a living because I love it. It's not because I make a thousand million dollars a day. That's surely, isn't it? <laughs> um, so getting to just even talk about things and have people learn about the industry and learn about what I do is all I can ask. Yeah, I guess one last question before I do let you go, Master Chef. Are you have you thought about getting into that? I have actually given some thought. Um, I don't know if I would say exactly Master Chef. I actually kind of went almost to the. I was thinking about the new show he put out, which is uh, my next level. Oh yeah, where's the three? That levels? was. Yeah. Yeah. That seemed pretty intense. That seemed like a really, really taking it like a, a co- cooking competition and really throwing a hell of a wrench in there and putting it, taking it totally different realm. Yeah. So okay. I actually forgot about that show and apparently did really well. I kind of wish I watched most of it, but um, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say before I let you go? The biggest thing I'd like to probably people to say is please continue um, enjoying food and for what it is. Uh, And and I think that's uh, something, something we can always all enjoy. That's why it's very universal, whether I don't speak your language or not, I'm not from your country. Guess what? I could probably cook you something that you'll put a, that'll get a smile on your face Mm -hmm. and I don't need to talk to you. I can tell that you're enjoying, we're enjoying and we're connecting over something. Um, So I don't, I think people should never take food for granted. Uh, There are nutritional purposes. There are purposes for enjoyment and they go hand in hand, but I, I, I think people should continuously 
kind of just, I don't know, highlight what they're doing in terms of food. It's a very, it's an industry that can be difficult to work in and I don't want to see it go away and I don't want to see it get diminished. So I think the more people really start to learn about it and understand it because it always, it's health at the same time. So, I mean, there's no reason you shouldn't want to. It's not like you're just supporting me. You're supporting yourself. Yes, in turn, are you supporting my industry? Sure. But I think it's something we all should supporting um and we run into global food crisis we're looking at down the barrel of it right now in fact in many countries and but we all need to i don't know i i guess keep in mind that we need to keep food in front of us and also enjoying it is a big part of that and that is actually i think that's all <laughs> and that is enough from sam so thank you for joining me thank you for joining me on this bonus episode on the midday man sports podcast again another episode will be dropping shortly i don't even know when uh, Noah and I are going to be working on that eventually, but until next time, we'll see ya. <laughs>